Before we dive into chapter 2, a quick recap of where we're up to. Jonah's a well-known story. We all love it. We've all been taught it from childhood if we've been in Sunday school. And what we saw last week is Jonah was called by God, the prophet Jonah called by God to preach in Nineveh, huge city in what was then called Assyria, a few hundred miles away, and he ran away in the opposite, total opposite direction. He was called northeast. The ship that he went for was going southwest, all the way to Spain. So he boarded a ship to Tarshish, and God had other plans. So God caused a great storm to come up on the sea. The sailors then didn't know what to do. Uh, They knew that Jonah was at the root of this storm and eventually, in consultation with Jonah and the Lord, chucked him overboard. And the sea immediately became calm and then God sent a big fish to swallow Jonah. So far, so good. Uh, Just a brief recap again. The things that we looked at last week, we looked a little bit at the historical background. not going to look at that again, uh, but you can listen to all of our uh, teaching again online. New website coming very, very soon. Uh, uniqueness of the book. It's, it's a prophetic book where it's the only prophet, the recorded prophet who's run away from the Lord. He's the only recorded prophet to go outside Israel. And in the book, there's only one verse where he actually utters anything prophetic at all. But it is still a prophetic book because if we draw back the curtain, we see what God is like and what God is doing. So it's prophetic in that sense. Much of what is prophetic doesn't actually come out of the mouth of Jonah. It's more within the story of the book. And we asked a couple of questions last week. One was looking at Jonah's understanding of God's compassion, limiting it to Israel, asking ourselves the question, do we ever limit the compassion of God? Do we ever limit his grace to people like us, to people who we think deserve it? And then we looked also at Jonah's call And when he was asked who he was, he gave a very good, orthodox answer. You know, Hebrew, uh, worship the God of heaven and earth. So his theology, he dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, but his heart was hard. His heart was cold. His heart lacked compassion. And we challenged ourselves on that as well. And final thing to say before we dive into chapter two is that the sense that the whole book is about God wanting to transform people. Uh, God wanted to convert Jonah, actually. As much as he wanted to convert and transform the people in Nineveh, God had plans for his prophet Jonah to convert him, if you like, to change his heart, to transform his heart, for him to see and understand more of the compassion and grace of God. And what we do in chapter 2 now, we move away from a focus on the pagan sailors in the boat. We move away from a focus on Nineveh, in chapters 3 and 4, and we focus in on God and Jonah, the two of them together, and on Jonah's prayer. So uh, let's look at Jonah's prayer. We're going to look at what it tells us about prayer in general, and we're going to look at some of the Psalms together that Jonah would have been familiar with, and see what we can learn about Jonah's prayer, about the Psalmists, particularly in times of difficulty, but also more generally as well. So we're on page 928 starting at chapter 1, verse 17. And this is what it says. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. 
you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So, short chapter, but full of great stuff. And I'm going to set some of that out uh, in the first part, and then we're going to have a chance to interact and discuss and, uh, at the end. And we will, we will have time for that. I'll make sure we do. So, Joe's distress and deliverance. Today, last week was compassion and call, and today is distress and deliverance. And I want us to look at verses 2 to 6 to start with. And just see how distressed Jonah is. There's a litany of distress from 2 to 6. So verse 2, he says, in my distress. He talks about from the depths of the grave. And that word for grave in Hebrew is sheol, a word that we may be familiar with. And it means the place of the dead. And he'd gone down. He had gone down. As we saw last week, he went down to Joppa, he went down into the ship, and now he's down into the, in the depths of the sea, and he's down in Sheol, the place of the dead. He's turned his face from the author of life, and he's gone down to the place of the dead. He's in verse 3, he's in the deep, in the heart of the seas, that place the Israelites feared more than any other place, a place of chaos and darkness and confusion and death in Jewish thinking. And currents swirled around me, that sense of confusion, breakers swept over me. He says in verse 4, I've been banished from your sight. He'd hit absolute rock bottom. He says in verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. And then somehow to top it all off, he says that seaweed is wrapped around my head. All I've got for company is some seaweed. And verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank, the earth beneath barred me in forever. You get that sense that he's, he's hit a pretty low point in his life. Things couldn't get much worse. And he knows that he's disobeyed God. He knows that this is punishment for him having disobeyed God. And he's there in the bowels of the sea, the worst possible place for him to be away from the face of God with confusion and darkness and death and swirling waters all around him. And in a situation, really, of crisis. And some of us will have been in those situations. None of us will probably have been in the belly of a fish, although I was chatting to Dawn Jessup after the nine o'clock service, and she said she heard a story a few years ago about a man who'd been swallowed by a fish. So it does happen. Uh, And he stayed in the belly of the fish for a while and uh, came out with bleached hair. So uh, there you go. One way to bleach your hair. But that sense of um, he's hit rock bottom. And some of us know what that feels like. Some of us might feel that we're there at the moment. There's no way out. Far from God. Just that sense of everything heavy on our shoulders. 
that we can't take any more. Crisis after crisis. And I don't want to go into that sense of detail, focusing on those details very much at all. What I want you to notice here is Jonah's honesty. Is Jonah's honesty. He was totally undone. If you remember in chapter 1, those of you who were here last week, Jonah didn't speak to God at all. God called Jonah and Jonah ran. He didn't pray. He didn't call on God. He essentially cut off his relationship with God last week. He was in a bad place, a dark place, a difficult place. He turned away from God and ran. This week, he's been chucked into the sea. He's come to his senses in a way. And it's very, very different. Instead of turning his back on God, instead of giving God the silent treatment, he pours his heart out to him. He pours his heart out to God. He's totally honest with God. He says exactly what he feels, exactly what he's gone through, shares his hopes, his fears, his distress. He comes as he is to God. And God loves prayers like that. God loves prayers like that. And Jonah's not the unique example of that in the Old Testament. He's in incredibly good company. On the lips of Jesus, as he died, he had a psalm. He had Psalm 22, crying out to God. And this is what Jesus said as he gave up his spirit. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the eternal Son of God speaking to the eternal Father of God. Why are you so far from saving me? Why so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but do you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. A heartfelt, gut-wrenchingly honest cry of distress from the lips of our Lord and Saviour in his moment of death. And Psalm 42 as well. The beginning of Psalm 42 has something similar from the psalmist, the sons of Korah. We may know this song well, it's been put to music, a slightly dated song now, but as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Those are just two examples from the Psalms. We don't have time to go into any more, but God doesn't want fake prayers. God's not interested in us dressing up what we feel in fancy language. God's not interested in us telling him what we think he wants to hear. God's interested in our hearts. God is interested in our honesty. God's interested in us pouring out our lives and our hearts to him. Not some great show of piety. So a question from these first few verses is just to have you mull over. Was When was the last time you truly poured out your heart to God? When was the last time you truly told God what you were going through, how you felt? How you felt about him? Now I'm not saying that could include how much you love him, thankfulness for what he's done, but how often we ask God for things and how often we forget that relationship of talking to him as a friend, telling him how we feel. So let me encourage you to pour out your heart to God in the way that the psalmists do, in the way that Jonah does. 
So Jonah, in his distress, did not remain silent. And he didn't focus on himself as he did in chapter 1. Instead, he cried out to God, trusting in God's mercy. And Jonah had hope for deliverance. The one thing Jonah had not given up on was hope. And if we do give up on hope, then we give up on pretty much everything else. Even in the darkest despair, Jonah clung on to hope in God because he knew what God was like. He knew what God was like. And he says this in verse 4. He said, I will look again towards your holy temple. He prayed this prayer in the belly of the whale, of the big fish. He, hadn't, he wasn't praying this prayer retrospectively. He wasn't out on dry land looking at the temple of God in Jerusalem. It was a commitment to God. It was a hope in God. I will look again towards your holy temple. I will return to Jerusalem and praise you where you dwell on earth. I will, I will, I will, because I know what you're like, Lord. I hope in you because I know you. He says in verse 7, I remembered you and my prayer rose to your holy temple. He had hope. He trusted in God even before he saw the answers to his prayer. He prayed in faith. He clung on to hope and he trusted God. Even in the belly of the fish. And where God is in the picture, there is always hope. It's one of the most precious commodities that we have as Christians, isn't it? That sense of hope. We walk by faith and not by sight. We see things that others don't see. And we know that in the end, everything is going to be all right. God is going to recreate or create a new heavens and a new earth, redeeming all that is good and and, uh, getting rid of all that is evil. There is a place where there's no more pain or dying and tears. But even in this life, there is hope because of God's power and because of God's love. And if we had time, I'd probably turn us to Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow who cried out because she had hope. She went, you you may well remember the story, she had no justice. She was a widow, she had no one to plead her case in the court and she went to an unjust judge who neither feared God nor had any respect for men. But because of her persistence, the judge said, all right, I'll grant you justice. And then the parable goes on to say in Luke 18, 1 to 8, that how much more God when he hears the cries of those who are afflicted, will grant justice to those who love him and do it quickly. There is always hope because of who God is, because God is a God of justice, because God is all-powerful and all-loving, there is always, always hope. And the psalmists in their distress hoped in the deliverance of God. They knew that God would come through for them in the end. And if you look back to uh, Psalm 42, the first few verses I read out uh, previously, it's um, Psalm 42 and 43, really, two psalms should be taken together as one. And there's a refrain that comes three times in those two psalms of hope in God. And it says this, the psalmist prays, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will, again, that commitment, I will. I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Put your hope in God. Sometimes we need to speak to our own souls, don't we, and say, put your hope in God. Take your, take your mind and your view and your eyes off yourself and put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him. I will praise him, my saviour and my God. I will yet praise him. And that was Jonah's prayer as well. I will look again towards your holy temple. This is not the end. There's more to come. There's always hope.
And then moving on from that, we've had Jonah's honesty and his distress. We've had his hope in God. And then God comes good for Jonah. There is a sense of deliverance in this story. From the depths and the darkness, Jonah cried out to God. God heard his cry and God rescued him. So look again at verse 2. In my distress, what did he do? I called out to the Lord and he answered me. Psalm 34 verse 18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. His ear is attentive to the cry of the brokenhearted. Verse 3 says you listened to my cry. That's verse 2 again, isn't it? You listened to my cry. God listens to our cries, always, even when we don't think he does. And there's so many examples of this in scripture as well, not just in the Psalms, but think of the book of Daniel, chapter 10, where um, um, Michael or Gabriel, one of the two, they're both involved, aren't they? Um, Speak to Daniel and say, um, God heard you from the moment you started praying, you were heard, but I was prevented from coming because of the king of Persia some demonic interference but Daniel prayed and God heard but the answer to Daniel's prayer didn't come immediately think of the Israelites in Egypt God heard their cry in Exodus chapter 2 it reached the uh, the ears of God but it took 40 years for Moses to deliver the people of God from slavery in Egypt think of James chapter 5 at the end there where it says the cries of the workers have reached the ears of God, those who, whose wages are denied by those who oppress them. But they were still oppressed. But the cries had reached the ears of God, and God listened, and God was ready to act. And our answers to prayer don't always come immediately. They don't always come as we think they're going to come. But they come. They will come. Because we can hope in God. Because we know the God in whom we hope. If we have any doubt of the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God, we look to Jesus on the cross who took the sin and death and punishment and sickness and pain of the whole world upon himself. And Jonah knew that, knew the grace and the mercy and the salvation of God. In verse 6, he says that you brought my life up from the pit. That's how Jonah described where he was. He was in the pit. And Jonah said, you brought my life up from the pit, from that place of hopelessness and darkness and despair. And Jonah knew that God did it all. Jonah knew that in his despair and his hopelessness and his darkness and in the pit, there was absolutely nothing he could do except cry out to God. But he did cry out to God and God rescued him. He didn't try and bargain with God. He didn't try and meet God halfway. He didn't make all these rash promises, if you rescue me, I'll do this. He cried out to God in his distress. And God heard him and God brought his life from the pit. And the same for us in our own salvation and often in our own times of distress. We can bring nothing except the cry of our heart and God does it all for us. And the story of Jonah's rescue is the story of God's people. It's it's our own story that while we were still sinners, while we were still far off, Christ died for us. That God rescues us even when we don't deserve it. It's nothing about what we deserve. If we're in a place of darkness and despair, it's not because we deserve it. It's not because we tend sometimes to think in terms of kind of cosmic karma, don't we? Or the Islamic way of seeing things, that good deeds uh, and bad deeds are kind of weighed in a balance. 
That's not a Christian way of thinking. The Christian way of thinking is all the grace of God. And we don't deserve it. Emphatically, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve our salvation. We don't deserve his mercy. But God, in his grace, gives us it all. So if you're down, if you're struggling, if you're in despair, don't think that it's because God doesn't love you. Don't think that it's because somehow you deserve it more than the person who's having a great time. There's not that sense of of cosmic karma, if you like, that other religions talk about. Psalm 40 is a great psalm of praise, and there are so many psalms of praise, thanking God for that rescue, for that unmerited favour. And Psalm 40 is one of my favourites, and it's a psalm of David. The first three verses say this. That I waited patiently for the Lord. Waited patiently for the Lord. That's sometimes all we can do, isn't it? And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of my despair, out of the mud and the mire. And then he put my feet on a solid rock. Gave me a firm place to stand. And that firm rock, that firm place is always Jesus. And then look what he did. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. The psalmist has been rescued by God, given a firm place to stand, and praises God, turns it back to God in praise. And that's what Jonah does as well. He responds to God's mercy with thankfulness and praise. And that's a great thing never to forget, isn't it? We pray, we cry out to God, God rescues us. Let's never forget to turn that back to him in praise and thankfulness. And then the final bit before we chat amongst ourselves is those are the three aspects of the prayer that I'd love us to notice. Jonah was honest. He poured out his heart to God. Jonah had hope in prayer. He'd never given up on hope, that precious commodity, and that God answered and God rescued. But the other thing I'd love us to notice is that sense that in prayer, through prayer, through difficult situations, God transformed Jonah. It wasn't that... Jonah, in chapter 3, gets a new start in the book. I think sometimes we can read Jonah and we think, finally, chapter 3, Jonah does obey God and he goes off to Nineveh. If only we'd never had chapters 1 and 2. But chapters 1 and 2 are absolutely key in the transformation of Jonah's life, in God meeting with Jonah and changing him, in teaching Jonah what he wanted to teach him. Jonah had experienced firsthand the undeserved grace of God. He'd experienced it in his own life. That grace that he, he wanted to keep in the borders, the borders of Israel, he'd experienced it in his own life. And he was beginning to see and feel for himself the compassion of God. He knew it perhaps intellectually before he knew the creeds, he knew what to say in the synagogue. But he'd experienced it now. He knew God's grace and his compassion, that Jonah deserved only death, but God rescued him from the big fish and gave him a second chance. God was changing Jonah through trials, through suffering. He was softening his heart. He was filling his heart with compassion. And Jonah was just beginning to understand God's favour, God's grace, God's salvation poured out on all people, not just on him, not just on the people of God, not just on us. But God was softening and changing and transforming Jonah's heart in a time of trial and suffering.
And look what Jonah learns through this. Before we do that, actually, 1 Peter 1 verse 7 the whole of the beginning of 1 Peter looks at that in a bit more detail about God transforming us through suffering and 1 Peter 1 7 says this that trials have come that's this verse 6 says in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials and then it says these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed that sense that trials can be used to the glory of God. God can use suffering and pain and difficulty if we'll let him. And he'll use it to transform our character. He'll use it to refine our faith. He'll use it to result eventually in praise and honour and glory going back to him. And that's what happens with Jonah. Jonah then says in verse 8 of chapter 2, his confession in 8 and 9 of faith, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. He knew that the sailors had clung to worthless idols, but he himself had clung to that sense of idolatry in his own heart where only Israel would be saved, holding on to the idol of of nationalism, of, of grace being poured out only for Israel. And he says, I will, with shouts of grateful praise, sacrifice to you. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And that's the pivotal verse in the whole of Jonah, 2 verse 9. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. It's not a right. It's not something that uh, we earn, that Jonah earns, something automatic for being an Israelite. And it's not something that's limited to people like Jonah. All people like us is the pure, pure grace of God. So, let's be more honest in our prayers. Let's stop faking it with God. Let's never give up on hope. Because if we give up on hope, we give up on prayer, we give up on God, we give up on salvation. And let's believe that as we pray, God hears and God answers and God rescues And in that time of difficulty, in that time, if you like, in the belly of the fish, let's also be encouraged that God uses difficult times to change us, to transform us, to make us more like Christ. Kick off with any thoughts, reflections, questions, testimony, anything at all. Don't be shy. If I'm being honest, and I am at the moment, <laughs> I must admit I'm one who prays and prays what I think God wants to hear and not always what I'm feeling. And I know that's got to change. So thank you for that, Martin. Great. Thank you. Thank you for, for that honesty. And I think it's great to pray back scripture to God, isn't it, in some sense? Um, but it's good. God wants our hearts, doesn't he? He wants all of us. He wants, he wants us to know him and he wants us to allow him in. So great, thank you. That's a great encouragement. In faith, I'm going to walk down the aisle. Just a couple of things, really. The first thing I noticed is that he actually said the prayer in the whale before he was fat out of the whale so it was all 
In fact, I, th I think I might actually put faith in God rather than hope in God, because hope is some things that you see, and faith is when you don't see things and, and reality is screaming against you. So that transformation happened to him to get him to the point at which he could state the truths about God regardless of what reality was telling him. He was still stuck inside the, the whale when he got to that point, mm. and that's how powerful the transformation was. And sort of alongside that, I'm minded of... Um, to the contrast with the Hebrews 5, verse 7 through 10, which is paralleling it with Jesus' experience, actually, which is, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries mm. and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Mm. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, you know, similar heartfelt prayers from yeah. Jesus that actually didn't result in a nice, fluffy, comfortable ending. Yeah. Well, on, on this. Uh, yeah, but, uh, great. Thank you. And that, that's, a, that's a lovely way of putting it, uh, what you said earlier in terms of the God changed you didn't putting words into your mouth but God changed Jonah before God changed the situation that was the order and all of this you know you get to verse 10 and God um, commanded the big fish and the big fish vomited Jonah out after all this prayer had happened amazing isn't it so the you've got a tiny bit on the change of the situation at the end and all of the rest of it is on God struggling in prayer Jonah struggling in prayer with God being honest full of faith and hope and uh, seeing himself transformed and only then does the situation change and that's not necessarily a pattern but that's what we see here that's what we do see in scripture uh, other parts great other thoughts yeah I'll give you the mic Dawn you're saying that um, nothing that comes to us, it, everything that comes to us is through grace, that we don't earn it or deserve it, which I agree with absolutely. But how about the bit that says um, that for those who believe that their family is blessed to the thousandth generation? So it almost seems that because of belief that there is then blessing to a thousandth generation for those who believe. So there is something that we do to get blessing. Good question. So, in terms of it's all of grace, but what about those who believe their families will be blessed to a thousand generations? There's that. It's all grace, though, isn't it? It's not a desert. I think that's what we don't deserve it. But God is gracious and merciful. God responds. God says that you. you Without faith, we can't please God. But where does faith come from? Ephesians 2, it's a gift of God. So I think whenever we get to the point where we think we did it, I brought something to it, even the faith, that's a gift of God. It's all of God. So I think I'd, I mean, it's probably a longer conversation, but it's a good question. Yeah. Other thoughts, folks? Just really a bit on an experience, I guess, um, in 94 uh, I was told I had a problem and I was going to be ill and may not work again and it like devastated me at the time and I just remembered I was sitting a couple of rows back here one Sunday evening uh, between Chris Bradley and Muzz 
absolutely blubbing. Well, that's Murray Hepburn. Murray Hepburn, Hepburn sorry. And, uh, and I just didn't know what to do anymore. And all I could do was remember the guy who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Mm. And he said, who touched me? And from that point on, I have said, but not always kept to it, said, I'm going to hang on to that garment and I'm mm. not letting go until you bless me. Mm. And I did, wasn't proud enough to use the word bless me, but just help me a bit. Uh, sort of thing so I just encourage people just to hang it hang on and find people to help you hang on because it was the fellowship of this place that that, uh, helped me hang on really great thank you and we had a a great comment this morning from uh, someone talking about how their life group had really helped them in difficult times that sense of we do hang on together we're honest together we hope in God together we look for God's salvation together. We're transformed together. It's a, it's a community thing, not, a, not a, an alone thing. And that lovely picture of uh, the two, two pictures in there, there was the, the woman who ha- held on to Jesus' uh, garment um, and where power went out from uh, him. And then that is Jacob, isn't it, in the Old Testament, who says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And uh, what an audacious prayer, great prayer wrestled with God I will not let you go until you bless me I will not I'm going to hold on until you bless me let's um, any, let's anyone see a Jemima and then we'll go at the back yeah I, 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 what I sort of gleaned from um, chapter 2 was I think God was giving Jonah a little bit of um, allowed Jonah to maybe face uh, death and suffering so that he could maybe identify with the people of Nineveh yeah. because they were on the brink of death themselves. And um, maybe when you are in a position, uh, you would empathize better uh, when you're supposed to do something for yeah. somebody else, I would say. Yeah. Great. That's, that's brilliant. That's uh, from the heart, isn't it, Jemima, of that sense of what we talk about often in church of being wounded healers, that if we... Uh, we minister from a place of brokenness. And often if we've suffered something ourselves, we're much better able to minister to someone in that same situation. So that was great, thank you. And final one. Cheers. Thank you. Um, I was just going to say, it is nice to know that um, it's not about karma, like you said. God in his, uh, in his mercies has given the same opportunity to everyone. So... Because some people will be in a position where they're more opportune to um, give or to bless other people. But it's, uh, we're all undeserving, and it's all in God's mercy. Jonah was a prophet, but it still needed that mercy, just mm. like everyone else. So yeah. it's just something Great. that gets in mind. Thank you. Brilliant. And we're going to, um, just in the last couple of minutes, pray together and pray for each other. Uh, and again, some. I'm gonna when I when I ask us to pray, I'm gonna ask us to to stand and then to have just so you know what's coming. Um, folk around just to to pray, and I'd encourage you some some. That's not within the experience of some. I think sometimes it's just just good to say to stand and don't don't have to say anything and say I I just love someone to pray that into my life to bless me in that. And it's just going to be a short couple of minutes uh, at the end before we go for coffee. And
I'd love I'd love us to pray into two areas really and one is that sense of honesty in prayer where we have perhaps I mean you might not use the, the term but we have perhaps been faking it for a while or we're not we may be afraid to say to God what we really think because we think he might reject us or he wants to hear something else. But just, or just that sense that you, you might not be thinking, actually, I haven't been being dishonest with God, but I just love more honesty. I just love to be able to pour my heart out to God uh, in prayer and, and really be myself with him. And if that's you, I just invite you to stand where you are now. It's a it's a brave thing to do, it is difficult, but if that's you, just that sense that maybe God has spoken to you about that, I just invite you to stand quietly where you are.